Welcome to the Insider's Guide to Finance, where we dive into stories from the front lines of financing public and private companies. I host seasoned CEOs, fund managers, bankers, brokers, and business experts who will answer your questions about how to properly engage investors, finance opportunities, and build outstanding success stories. We dig into the educational how-tos and mechanics of structuring good deals. You'll also hear about strokes of luck, tense negotiations, and the pressures of closing, while also getting insights on how to best navigate the public markets. Welcome back to the Insider's Guide to Finance. In this episode, we talk about going public. Delilah Panio is the Vice President of U.S. Capital Formation with the TMX Group. She's joining us from sunny California. Now, Delilah focuses on educating high potential ventures in the U.S. on the benefits of using the TSX Venture and the TSX as an opportunity to raise capital and build investor awareness. Now, we both agree that most companies aren't meant to be public. But for those who are, the Canadian public venture capital model is a very real opportunity to raise capital and grow your business. Keep in mind that being public requires an investment in a robust administration program, as well as an IR program that keeps you competitive in attracting and retaining shareholders for your public company. We're seeing more and more U.S. companies list on the venture and move up to the TSX or the large U.S. boards. Now, there's really an opportunity there to list, execute, raise their market cap, and even use their stock as a currency for acquiring other companies. So what do you need to know to do this? Listen in and hear from Delilah on the ins and outs of listing and growing your business as a public company. This is a really informative episode and Delilah is more than happy to share her time and experience with you so you can understand what it takes to run a public entity. On the line, we have Delilah Panio, Vice President of Capital Formation for TSX Venture. Delilah, so, so good to have you on. Thanks, Corey. It's a real pleasure to be here. I'm calling in from Los Angeles, and it's a beautiful, sunny day in Southern California, as yeah. always. <laughs> well, for us in uh, Canada, I don't think we really want to hear that at this time of year, but um, it actually, you know, I, obviously it plays into what you do and your, your focus is with the TSX Venture, uh, public venture capital and the U.S. capital formation. So, you know, that's the focus of the podcast. I'd love to hear about that. So why don't you start with telling a, a bit about yourself? Sure, absolutely. And and just so you know, I, I actually cover both Toronto Stock Exchange and TSX Venture Exchange uh, for the U.S. And as we talk about what public venture capital is, I'll talk about how that relates to the U.S. You know, um, capital markets and the the equity landscape here. Okay. But a bit about myself. I am I am Canadian, so I'm from the prairies of, of Canada and uh, is from Saskatchewan. And I lived in Toronto for about ten years, working for TSX about 10 years ago, so from 2000 to 2010, and I, and I headed up the business development back in the day. And then in 2010, I leapt off the corporate ladder and I moved to California and I had a, a startup and a dream like a lot of people who come out here. Uh, so I, yeah, I had, had a startup, it was in the digital media space. I worked on that for a few years. I, I've done several consulting, really sort of entrenched myself in the Southern California entrepreneurship ecosystem, if you will. And I worked you know, with incubators, accelerators here. 
And then about a year and a half ago, TMX Group decided that they wanted to put somebody in Southern California, which they had never had before, reached out and it, and it, and it worked out because I live here and I have the experience. And so I definitely have one of the best jobs uh, within the exchange, which is getting to represent, you know, a world-class, uh, you know, market operator like Toronto Stock Exchange and TSX Venture Exchange, but getting to do it uh, from Southern California, living in LA. And um, as a Canadian, obviously, it's a pretty good gig. So I, I personally yeah. find I find winter to be highly unnecessary. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and like as we had on our one of our pre-calls, there, I said that you you have one of the the very few professions that I actually am a bit envious for because I think you've got a very cool gig in what you do. And, and, and I really like how the TMX group is, is making a move into California, into the, some of these startup ecosystems. And this would bring us into the world of public venture capital. So, Absolutely. And, and just so the people on, on that are listening know that I do have a counterpart, um, Jeffrey Libro, who is in San Francisco. So, okay. yeah, we have a real commitment. We, we see opportunity in the California ecosystem for, for what we have to offer to U.S. companies looking to raise capital. And so that's, um, yeah, we, we cover a lot of parts of the U.S., but the two of us are here based in California. So with that, let's, let's talk public venture capital and, and perhaps why you're in California doing this work? Absolutely. So, you know, entrepreneurs and CEOs of growth companies, you know, when they're looking to raise capital as they're building their business, executing on their business plan, trying to get to market, uh, looking for, again, that, that really high growth capital. When you look at the North American equity landscape, there's seemingly, the, and there are more options for raising capital than ever. So you have obviously the traditional roots of angel investors, venture capital, private equity, all the way up in the US to the, the public markets of New York Stock Exchange and NASDAQ. And then you have you know, the OTC markets here, which are the unregulated markets uh, in the US. And then in the recent years, since the Job Act, Jobs Act, we've had you know, the, the introduction of, of crowdfunding and more importantly, equity crowdfunding and Reg A, Reg A plus. And then of course we have ICOs, initial coin offerings, which we're still sort of wondering whatever happened to those, they seem to have disappeared. But in this, in this equity capital landscape for US companies and for Canadian companies too, but for, for, for my purposes, US companies, it's what are the options for entrepreneurs? And this concept of public venture capital, which is really what we, what we represent, the TSX Venture Exchange, and also to be fair, you know, the, the, some of the bottom tier of the Toronto Stock Exchange, because we are a small cap marketplace. And when you look at, at what is happening in the US capital markets and how it has really evolved from a growth capital market to more of an exit market with these mega, mega IPOs, um, you know, where, 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 do, where does that critical Series B plus um, that you used to be able to get from the public markets in the U.S., which isn't necessarily available? But in Canada, this is really our sweet spot, right? Again, TSX Venture and, and some of the earlier um, stage IPOs on TSX. And so where we play in this market is the ability for U.S. management teams that are looking for that, again, that sort of Series B plus, I'd say the 10 to 15 million, and these are U.S. numbers I'm using, um, plus capital raises that their options in the U.S. obviously are private venture capital, which may just not be something that they're interested in for, for lots of reasons. That can drive me into the question of when, when you say what mm -hmm. entrepreneurs may in the U.S. or in Canada or anywhere, really, because you're seeing more and more groups internationally come to the TMX group. But 
the reasons why perhaps venture capital isn't for them, but public venture capital would be. Can you get into that, some of the pros and cons around it? And maybe can we give a little bit more color to what PVC looks like? Yeah, absolutely. At the end of the day, public venture capital just means raising that venture capital (laughs) in the public markets versus in the private markets. Now, what's interesting, though, is because, for example, the TSX Venture Exchange, we only require a company to float 20% of its shares with and with the public, you're you're not you're you're still quasi private. I mean, you you could still maintain eighty percent ownership of your company, um, which is for an earlier stage company is what you want. Which speaks to the number one reason that I hear from from CEOs, especially American CEOs, of why they would are interested in in listing on TSX Venture versus going the private venture capital, which is control. So one of the things that we all know about private venture capital that they can have very you know, strong term sheets and, and um, you know, they'll get preferred shares. They'll have liquidity preferences. There's a lot of, of, of potential, you know, tenants to, to the agreement that, that may or may not be desirable to, to, the, to the management team of the private company and, or the early investors. Whereas when you, go, when you go public, all those shares, no matter what share structure you had coming into going public, get converted to, to common shares. So suddenly you have a very flat cap table and you don't have the pref share guys you know, telling you what to do you know, with, 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 with your business. And so, again, this is not to say anything negative around private venture capital because it certainly has its place and there are pros and cons to both. At the end of the day, if you're taking external capital, it's going to come at a cost. So what's important is for CEOs and management teams to really understand the differences and which is right for them. And so there are very seasoned management teams that are just, you know, that don't need the, 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 uh, the good parts of what private VC brings, which is mentorship, you know, you know, access to, to contacts, et cetera, industry experience, whereas, again, a seasoned management team, they just, they need the structure to raise the capital and grow the business. And so maintaining control is probably one of the biggest reasons why you consider going public on, on TSX Venture and using public venture capital. And another is, you know, it, it can be an exit for early investors. Now, I want to be clear that TSX Venture Exchange is not a liquidity event for management team or, you know, even like some of the current investors, but for the earlier investors, uh, whether it's, you know, you have your, you have your friends and family in there from the beginning, you have your mom and your friends from college who funded that first critical round of capital, and they might, you know, be looking to have a bit of an exit or some of the angel investors who might invest really early. But the way to look at public venture capital is that, again, it's a growth tool to get you to your next milestones and, and, and hopefully eventually, you know, graduating up to Toronto Stock Exchange or, and or onto a U.S. market. Yeah, I see where you're going there, and it's it's a form of liquidity early on, and and definitely, I mean the 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 concept or the the benefit of flattening out your cap table and not having to deal with very complex waterfalls of preferred ownership and all that is interesting. Something else about the the PVC market that I think is interesting, and you see some companies doing very well, is using that that share value as a currency. So in essence building up and demonstrating a, a market cap, a market value for their company, and then being able to exchange those shares uh, for equity and other companies and, and grow through acquisition. Can you touch a bit on that? Yeah, I would say that that is the number one reason that early stage companies would, would consider 
and think about going public earlier because again, and we can get into you know the costs and all that sort of thing around being a public company and from an infrastructure. So there's you know there's a lot of reasons not to go public, and and I should have said from the beginning because I usually say right away that most companies should never go public because it's a big deal. Um, but but for the but they should at least understand you know when it makes sense. When it really makes sense is if you are building a high growth company that has an opportunity to to have an aggressive acquisition strategy. So you can use your stock as currency to buy competitors, to buy technologies, to you know vertically vertically integrate within an industry to expand you know your your top line through through acquisition. And also using the, the stock as currency to attract top talent. So, you know, it's interesting when you are, if you're the, again, the CEO of, of a growth company here in the US and you're trying to attract top, you know, developers or, 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 or other great employees onto your team and you're saying to them, listen, we're going to give you a really crappy salary, but we're going to give you stock options in this great company. And, you know, you could really cash in one day. You could be the next Facebook or, you know, Instagram or whatever, right? Um, But the practical reality in today's market is that the average time from Series A to IPO in the US, which used to be three to four or five years, is now more like eight to 10 years. So how attractive is that to an employee who is getting, again, a lower salary, but this paper that might not be worth anything? When, when you're when you're saying having the same conversation and you are a public company, like even if you're on TSX Venture Exchange, well, again, it's not meant to be everyone's dumping their stock as soon as they get it, but there's there is an actual path to liquidity there. So the employees can you're already a public company. They they can you know start to you know monetize some of some of the stock at different points um, depending on how the the option plan is created. But at least there's a path to that liquidity for the employees. So again, that. Stock as currency um, is, you know, is one of the biggest reasons the companies go public, especially early, as well as the ability to access capital. Hmm. I think especially for U.S. companies, we focus so much on the big names, the Facebooks, the, the Yelps, the, uh, the Airbnbs. It would be amazing to be them, but that's, that's a less than 1% kind of uh, yes. opportunity. <laughs> yes. When... There's companies that can grow at maybe, you know, maybe a lower growth rate than 100% year over year kind of thing and, and build up to be real businesses. Public venture capital can be a, a strong um, capital formation tool for them. Now, when looking at that, what, what are some of the success stories you could give us? Or, you know, can you paint a picture for how some of these uh, become successful using the, the platform or using the, the exchange? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, just to be clear, as my compliance, we'll make sure that, that I'm, I'm not promoting any individual stocks. Um, so how I, how I think we should talk about success stories on our marketplace, because again, what's so unique about the Canadian markets is that we, we, give, the, we give these growth companies an opportunity to make it, right? And, and for investors to get in on these high risk, early stage companies that they would never otherwise have access to, right? I mean, it's, it's one thing to be able to buy shares in, you know, Facebook when they go do a big IPO, but to get in on some of the really early stage companies on venture that do, you know, do several rounds of capital on TSX venture, graduate to TSX, make it into the TSX index. I mean, that is our unique story for Canada is that we have a true incubator program of early stage growth companies, high risk, but high potential for return. 
but also, you know, we'll have this a similar success rate and failure rate as as other as other as other venture capital, right? So, mm. but we in Canada, because of 165 years of doing this, have created an infrastructure so that these early stage companies have a shot at success. So how we measure success on our marketplace is certainly when companies are coming to market, they're raising additional rounds of capital, they're creating, you know, they're increasing enterprise value in, in, in their company, they're, they're doing acquisitions, they're using the public venture capital marketplace for how it's meant to be used for, <clears throat> excuse me, and then ultimately they're graduating up to Toronto Stock Exchange. And, and for U.S. companies, our real, in our mind, success is that then they do a list onto New York or NASDAQ. I mean, li listen, we're very clear that we certainly understand that if you're a U.S. company, your end goal is going to be New York or NASDAQ. And we have no issue with that. We just say, here's a path to get there that is different than the private VC route, which to your point, statistically doesn't really work out for that many companies. And so, um, so in terms of success, you know, we've had in the last 18 months, we've had 14 U.S. companies go public. So, and, and very diversified industries from, you know, technology to uh, consumer packaged goods. Um, we, I, you know, we were at an event last week in Phoenix, where we, which we hosted, and we had a recent listed issuer called Alkaline Water Company, uh, which has done very well. They listed last year, you know, their share price is up, their market cap is up. They've, they've done acquisitions. In fact, they just did a deal with, this is fun fact, with Mark Wahlberg and P. Diddy's a water company, Aquahydrate. And so, you know, again, that CEO was very clear about sitting there in Arizona, why he chose to come up to the venture market and what success looks like for him. Um, yeah, so, so there, you know, there are another, we had a, a company last year called Viamed who listed on the venture exchange and then within six months graduated up to Toronto Stock Exchange. And, um, you know, so, so there are lots of, lots of companies that have come, they're growing, and then let's, you know, let's see how they play it. We have several technology companies in the last couple, like I said, 18 months that have listed and we're obviously watching to see, to see how they grow and how they are taking advantage of, of public venture capital. Well, yeah. And I mean, with that, it's, uh, I want to ask the question of, uh, you mentioned a few different industries there, but are there particular industries that do fare better than not? Well, you know, we're coming out of a big cannabis boom. Um, and so, so it, you know, it, it, as you know, markets are, are always interesting in terms of what sector is hot today. And, and again, to be clear, we do not list U.S. cannabis companies, um, because of the federal regulations here in the U.S. still. Yeah. Uh, we, we do now list U.S. Um, hemp or CBD companies, but not cannabis. Um, so a lot of this, of course, is, is the it depends on what the market timing is, how, how, how good of a management team you know, the company has, how ready they are to be public, how acquainted they are with the Canadian capital markets to be able you know, to, to increase their chance of success. You know, how good is their investor relations program? That's, you know, probably the one of the number one things that always amazes me when companies, you know, complain about liquidity, but they have no IR programs. You know, we have over 3,200 issuers on TSX and the Venture Exchange in a small country. So if you want to get noticed, you have to have a really great uh, investor relations companies. But I would say... It's not, a, it's not even about the industry as it is about the, the management team and the, the knowledge and the understanding of we are coming to the public venture capital marketplace in Canada. We are going to grow our business. We're going to increase enterprise value. We are going to use our stock as currency for acquisitions and attracting top talent. 
our intention is to graduate to Toronto Stock Exchange and then do a list onto New York and NASDAQ. So people with that real plan and understanding, uh, and, and some of that comes with, you know, really having the, the stomach to not be concerned about the stock price, right? So if you look at most TSX venture companies or a lot of them, you know, their stock price, you know, isn't moving or it's low, especially compared to the U.S. market. They'd be, quote, penny stocks, which, you know, is kind of a dirty word in the U.S., but is yeah, not in okay. Canada yeah. because in Canada, that's just what they likely should be priced at. Um, and so, you know, they – so, again, the CEOs who get it, like, for example, the, the CEO who spoke last week, he was very clear about, you know – I don't watch the stock price. I'm, I'm creating value in my company. I know that that liquidity event for our investors, et cetera, um, the real growth is going to come when we graduate. And, um, and, and, and so they really, you know, they, they, they watch, they watch it that way. So, but, but it takes a certain, you know, sort of gut of steel to not be freaked out by what may or may not be happening to your stock price, um, which again is impacted by so many things, you mm-hmm. know, industry markets, you know, certainly now politics has a lot to, especially in this country, that there's a lot going on that can impact your stock that has nothing to do with you. And so how do you weather through that? And some of that also, again, back to the investor relations comment around having a good IR program and setting expectations with investors that uh, of how you're going to build this company. When you look at it, the communication strategy there, and I do want to bring that in because it's such an important yeah. piece of of public venture capital in the sense that you now have to communicate with a whole nother community of investors or potential, I mean, in, in essence, customers of your company. You're, you're building another audience that you have to speak to the same way you were with your, your customers and the value you're delivering on the other side of that equation. So it's a lot of work there. Yes. What, what kind of advice or, or what should we be aware of there? Yeah, what does that mean for companies looking to go public? Yes. Well, the practical reality is you are almost running two businesses to your point, right? You are running your actual business and then you're running the business of being a public company. And so the company has to be ready for that. And and, well, they have to understand it, be ready for it, create the infrastructure for it. That is the most, you know, cost efficient, but still effective uh, for what they're trying to do. And so, you know, whether that infrastructure is the investor relations, you know, having a really great CFO who understands, you know, all the filings, et cetera, and a great communications uh, plan. And then, you know, ultimately it's meeting your milestones, right? So it's setting reasonable expectations, uh, you know, to, to your investors and then meeting those milestones. And then that's what, you know, often the, the, the public markets will, will reward when you're meeting those milestones. And, and, especially if you are intending to go back to market to raise additional rounds of capital, it is, if you want to be raising, you know, non-dilutive rounds, um, you know, that's what that's about. It's, it's really, uh, you know, executing on, on the business plan, the milestones and, and having a really good communication plan to investors, but being prepared for that, knowing in advance that that's going to happen and, and having the infrastructure and then the, the, the funds to, to, to properly fund it is, is really important. Okay. Now, Delilah, we, we, we've talked through this and in, in our previous call, we discussed what it means to go public and you were able to sum this up in four R's. Perhaps we touched on it a bit in our early conversation in this mm-hmm. interview here, but can you go into those four R's so that I just think it's such a good way to package it up? 
Yeah, absolutely. And this is, again, this is, this is for entrepreneurs or the CEOs of these companies to really get into the mindset of how should I even think about going public? Like, is this something even for my company to consider? I think all companies should consider it. And then, so these are really the four, what I call the four R's as considerations, because, you know, in this time where we all have uh, minimal, we all have ADD and, and minimal attention spans, it's important, it's, it's easier to grasp onto things like the four R's. And we can have a test at the end too. Um, so the four R's just really, you know, quickly, and we have touched on some of these points, but I'll, I'll, I'll wrap it all up together is the first one is, you know, is reason. So does the company have a reason to be public? As I mentioned, most companies should not go public. It, it's, 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 a, it's a big deal. It's, it, it can be very expensive, time-consuming. And so the first consideration for the company is should they even be public? Do they have a reason? Would they benefit from the advantages of being public? And so some of those which we've already touched on, but access to capital, acquisition currency, diversifying the shareholder base, stock incentives for employees, and also just the credibility and exposure of being on an internationally recognized stock exchange, especially if you are in a B2B business and, you know, some of your customers can take comfort the fact that you are listed on a stock exchange, you have been vetted, a securities commission has looked at you, you know, so there is, there is really good, so that's a really good benefit to being public as well. So, so that'd be the first R, so the company should be thinking about you know, do we have a reason to be public? Does it make sense to even be a public company? The second R is ready. So are you and your company ready to go and be public? And again, we touched on some of this, but number one thing that we're looking at, especially on the TSX Venture Exchange, is the management team. So we're going to be looking for that combination of industry experience, but also public company experience. We're going to be looking for a CFO who has public company experience. Uh, you know, a board of directors that, you know, obviously being a, a public direct uh, board member is very different than being an advisory board member of a private company, right? Um, and uh, we're, we're looking for audited financial statements. So on the TSX Venture Exchange, it's two, a minimum of two years. TSX, it's three years. But, you know, how prepared are you with your financials to have them audited? And, you know, are you ready to go through that process? The internal controls, especially around fiscal management, we touched on this a little bit, CEO's time on investor relations. So again, who's running the company while the CEO is off doing their investor relations? And, you know, depending on the, on the company, most CEOs say it's, you know, somewhere between 25 to 30% of their time is on investor relations. Now, that's not dissimilar if you're a private company raising venture capital, which once you start, you, it's, sort of, it's sort of never ending. Like as soon as you finish one round, you're socializing for the next round. So, you know, again, it, it can be a similar amount of time. But I'd say that the biggest sort of are you ready question mark, um, which, which really sort of puts the fear into most companies that they don't end up going public, um, is transparency. So are you ready for your company to be fully transparent with your financials in, you know, in, in the public markets? And so your competitors can now see your financials, your customers can see your, your financials. Again, pros and cons to that. We, you know, that we certainly have had companies where you know, their biggest competitor is a public company and um, financially on paper, you know, the, the smaller company actually looks better than their bigger competitors. And so if, if their financials were public, then, they, then that could actually help them compared to some of their competitors. So, you know, this is all the, all the things to, to, to think about. And consider. A lot of things to balance. Yeah. You know, and I just, this is a little bit of a, uh, a divert here. We work and then yeah. going from being 
uh, well, going towards their IPO and having to step away from their quote unquote community adjusted EBITDA. Because that was not a, uh, a gap compliant. Uh, <laughs> and so I, I, I digress, but I just thought that yeah. was interesting. Yeah. So that yeah. would be one of those things. You can't be presenting your books the way you want to be presenting. Yes. You're, you're under a lot more scrutiny. Uh, absolutely. And again, you know, what I say to companies earlier on, even if they're not thinking about going public now, or if they, even if they never go public is start acting like a public company now, get all that stuff in order. It's way easier to have your financials, you know, clean and up to date when you're smaller than you've been in, you know, let's say you've been operating for four to five years and you've got to go back to do your audited financial statements. Like that's where the cost of going public, you know, can get, can increase a lot. Um, so start acting like a public company. Now, the, all these things I'm talking about now are things that companies can be recognizing now and then working toward and it's, it's only going to benefit your company. And by the way, by the time you get to like bigger VC rounds, they're going to want the same things anyways. I mean, you know, they're looking for very, very similar requirements. Um, and actually that, that brings me to the third R, which is requirements. And so the question is, you know, does your company meet exchange listing requirements? And what's interesting for us companies is that the big difference between the us capital markets and the Canadian markets in terms of the exchange listing requirements. So NASDAQ in New York, you know, their listing requirements are based on shareholder equity, share price, uh, market cap, uh, you know, those kinds of, of metrics. Whereas in Canada, uniquely TSX venture and Toronto stock exchange, our listing requirements are based on the financial fundamentals of the company. So revenue, earnings, net tangible assets, working capital. And so what's, again, very unique about our marketplace, especially TSX Venture, where we do list pre-revenue companies. Again, think about 165 years of listing mining and oil and gas company, exploration companies. Um, we have created this very unique matrix within our listing requirements, which people can see in our, our guide to listing, of if you have you know, more revenue than we require less working capital. But if you don't have revenue, then we're going to be looking for a minimum of, you know, 12 to 24 months of working capital, which can come on the raise of the going public transaction. But, you know, we're going to want to see a business plan and our listing staff will review and, you know, obviously believe the business plan and, 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 and recognize that with this capital raise, this company has enough money to really, you know, give it a shot. Again, the beautiful thing about our marketplace, because we have the two tiers, is that investors know TSX Venture Exchange are earlier stage, higher risk companies. And so, um, but again, we are giving these companies a shot at, at, at growing by, by accessing the capital and giving the investors an opportunity, as I said earlier, to benefit from you know, a potential higher return than you would see on a big US IPO, which of course, as we've seen lately, <laughs> the big I US IPOs, you know, don't have a return. <laughs> so on the, you know, certainly on the venture exchange, if you can get in on those earlier stage, you know, sub dollar um, listings, um, stock price listings, and then as they grow and again, graduate, uh, you know, some of the returns, certainly that we've seen, you know, obviously in the cannabis industry in the last few months have been incredible returns that you, you're just not going to see um, unless you're starting on these, you know, venture markets. So, that, right. so that's our, our requirement. So again, what I encourage, you know, companies to look at our guide to listing and see where they fit in and know that, again, our exchange staff, we're very, very user-friendly and we are um, interested to work with the companies to see how we can make it fit. Um, and again, if, if the capital raise is something that's very viable, 
then we are very interested to help that company be able to list. And we will work with the companies to do that. And that brings me... Uh, oh, yeah, go ahead. So let me just jump in there. I think that's a yeah. point that I just want to touch on is that uh, oftentimes it, you know, some can look and say, damn it, the exchange is so hard to work with. And I'm not just saying the venture or any exchange. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there is a reason why that happens because you've got a capital pool there of sophisticated investors and retail investors mm-hmm. who are looking for good product, being good companies to invest in. And so what I'm hearing, and really I think the way we should be viewing this is that the exchanges, part of their duty is to make sure that there's the, the, the rigor and, uh, and um, sophistication is there within the deals that they, they make available to those investing groups. Absolutely. You know, our job at the exchange is to bring some comfort to or bring comfort to the investors that there has been a certain level of scrutiny on the company, on the company's financial fundamentals, you know, looking at their financial statements, looking at their at their business plan, obviously approving, you know, the, the share structure and price, etc. And so that that is meant to bring comfort. Now, what's unique is that we do it for early stage companies. So obviously, there's much there's more, there's more risk involved. And so we still, you know, but we still based on our list requirements and the way that we do it, we still say, okay, we, this is what we've looked at between us and the, obviously the investment bankers who are, who are supporting the, the deal that there is some comfort that someone's looked at, at, at those, at all those fundamentals. And including one of the biggest things is that, you know, we do background checks on every officer and director so that there again is a level of comfort that, you know, we're not allowing bad actors onto our marketplace. And so that's something that, for example, compared to the OTC, in terms of reviewing of the company, looking at the financials, et cetera, that someone is looking at the, the whole package of it before, before it's going to market. Mm. Um, yeah. And then ultimately, you know, getting to the fourth R, which is really in my mind the most important one, because you can have every reason to be public. You can ready, you can be ready to be a public company. You can meet our list of requirements, but what is the reality? And the reality question is, you know, can Canadian investment bankers get investor support, whether that's from their retail, their institutional investors for your type of company, your size of company in current market conditions. And that's where the big old, it depends, you know, comes into play. Right. So you know, again, six months ago, we were in a different market, especially, you know, for cannabis companies. Now we're, we're in a different market. We're seeing, you know, market correction around that. So it's, you know, what, what's, what's hot, what sectors are interesting, you know, what can get funded. And, um, and that's, that's, that's where, that is where it all depends. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, that's, I don't think, well, none of us really will have a crystal ball to figure that one out, but you know, something came to mind as, as you're talking through these points, and it's that, especially for U.S. companies, I think looking at the exchange, there's more and more international attention or international investment coming in and international listings happening on the venture exchange and the, the TSX there. Yes. And, you know, just because you're listed in Canada, it doesn't all of a sudden make you a Canadian company. You can still work and, and build your, your operations internationally. You can be from anywhere and be listed there, but use that as ex- that exchange for, for the benefits that it has. And in fact, I think you touched on that point in a recent article on VentureBeat, uh, which was written. It's, I mean, you can build a company internationally using the exchange, even if you're not from Canada. 
Yes, and what what people don't realize, yeah. So, so certainly from our requirements point of view, you do not need to be a Canadian corporation. There, for U.S. companies, there is a consideration if you are looking to, um, you know, not be registered with the SEC as you're growing your company. There is a pathway to do that by becoming a foreign private issuer in the eyes of the of the SEC. And so, you know, there, there's a, there's a pathway to do that. But one of the most important things that most you know non-Canadians would not realize is is that. You know, we're, we're a significant source of growth capital globally. We're, you know, the top 10 of exchanges around the world. And 40% of our trading originates from outside of Canada. So even though you are trading on TSX or TSX Venture, there are investors from around the world. Certainly a lot of that is going to be coming from the U.S. And so, you know, if you look at like an IPO like Lightspeed, which isn't a U.S. company, but is a big technology company, um, uh, that listed on TSX earlier this year, and you know they did a, a large IPO, one of the larger tech IPOs we've seen. But 50% of the investors, you know, came from the U.S. So even though they only listed in Canada, you're, you're, you're depending on the size of your deal, and and again, your who you're the bankers you're working with, you're going to be on a roadshow that includes New York and Chicago and San Francisco. Um, and uh, because all of the Canadian banks certainly have relationships with with U.S. investors, and uh, and then of course internationally. So, yeah, we you know we in the last eighteen months we've listed about over thirty you know international and U.S. companies, and so we we are home to to all kinds of companies, and interestingly from all kinds of sectors. Hmm. Do you, I, I don't know if you have them on hand, but there's there's definitely some interesting stats around that. Are you able to r- rattle any of those off? Because when I read through them in a in a, uh, a pitch deck that you presented to me, I thought I was I was shocked by some of them. Oh, sorry, which stats are you referring to? Um, with some of the listings, like you mentioned that the forty percent, but there was more stats about the uh, about companies being listed, about the uh, share price appreciation across the board, about international investment. There was just so many interesting things. Is there any more there that you could touch on? Uh, I don't know if you have them off the top of your head. Well, I can I can talk about because again, my specialty is more on the on the U.S. side. You know, I can say that you know in the last um, five years, there's been 40 new listings from the U.S. that have come to our market. Um, that um, and 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 all of our U.S. companies, which right now we have about 115 U.S. companies. In the last five years, they've raised over 10 billion dollars. Um, again, a lot of these are, are smaller cap companies, so that's a lot of deals getting done. Yeah. So, you know, w- one of the things that for any company looking at where they're getting their capital from is that, you know, you want to make sure you've got, it's a source of growth capital that you can also go back to, right? And that is the beautiful thing about the public markets is being able to go back as long as, again, you're, you're, you're meeting your milestones and you're, 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 you're building your company in a, in a good way that you can go back to the markets to raise that capital and, and grow. But, but yes, we have definitely seen, I think, you know, one of the other things that's interesting is that we know we're not just, we're no longer just a resource exchange, right? So we obviously are, our, our history and our reputations is, is in mining and on gas. And we're, you know, certainly proud of how we, the marketplace we've built because of that. And, Certainly, some parts of the mining sector are, are, are back right now. But what was interesting to note is that from our, our from a market capitalization point of view, and we're a, a three trillion dollar market cap um, marketplace, 
um, you know, over 30% of that is coming from growth sectors that are non-resource. And, and in fact, the resource sector is, is a significantly, you know, around, you know, less than 20% of, of the, of the entire market cap. So clean tech, communications, diversified industries, technology, life sciences, which does include, you know, the cannabis and hemp companies, you know, where we used to be really known as resource now in the last five years, the number one source of new listings um, and IPOs have, have been from non-resource companies. And so we've had 226 new listings in the last five years that have been, you know, tech and life sciences and, and other kinds of companies. And it's, it's also, you know, for, for non-Canadian IPOs, new listings. So again, that would be U.S. and international. The number one source of new listings has been non-resource hmm. companies. Yeah. It's really compelling. In fact, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll, uh, or if I can, I'll put a link to, or I'll put that uh, the presentation, the latest presentation you have in the show notes, because sure. I think it's uh, it's really compelling. Yeah, so, absolutely. Why don't Why don't we move to try to package this all up? And I mean, I think the the answers that I drive to after, or the the questions that I drive to after having this discussion would be. So how do you go public? I mean, knowing you, you go through your list, you see that you meet those four R's, you recognize what, the, what it's really going to take. Now, how do you go public on the TSXV? So I'll, I'll talk about this in a couple of ways. First, I'll talk about ways to list, and then I'll talk about process. You know, so one's a, again, just here are the ways that you can list on our market, which are, some of them are unique. And then here's the process of how you'd actually, you know, start engaging in this in this um, consideration. So again, what's unique to our market is, is especially on the TSX Venture Exchange, we have several ways to list, you know, again, understanding that earlier stage growth companies are likely not going to do a big IPO, right? So if you're, if you're raising $20 million, you know, the cost and the uncertainty of doing an IPO is not really practical. So most companies on the Venture Exchange will go public through a and I'll use the Canadian term, which is reverse takeover, and the U.S. term, which is reverse merger. Now, in the U.S., reverse merger has a very negative taint to it because, again, a lot of those deals are done on the OTC. So, again, there's no exchange staff, you know, that's, you know, looking at the company and, there's, and they don't have the same kind of regula regulation that we have. And so, but ways to list on TSX Venture. So, you can do an IPO. You can do an RTO, reverse takeover of an of an old inactive company, so an old mining shell or a technology shell. And we do have a very, the, the beautiful thing about our market is the transparency. So we have a shell board called NEX. So anything on that, on that um, board that has a dot H at the end of the symbol is actually an inactive company that, you know, could have cash in it, in it could have some tax liabilities, you know, there could be positive using, using a shell. So some more value to it than just the vehicle itself. Exactly. There, there could be. Exactly. There's also, now you also have to be careful because you've got, you know, unknown shareholders, et cetera. So you want to make sure potential losses, you want to make sure that you're doing your due diligence, looking at, at, an, at, an, in a, at an inactive company, that kind of a shell. But probably the most popular way that companies go public on TSX Venture Exchange is through our proprietary capital pool company or CPC program. And that is what, it's basically a clean shell program. And so for, you know, it's it's well known in Canada. It's not that well known in the U.S. In the U.S., they're more familiar with the SPAC structure, the Special Purpose Acquisition Corp structure, which is really large. It's, it's really that's a large blind pool looking to acquire a company. Whereas um, in Canada, the CPC is really a listing vehicle. So you know, we allow a few individuals to 
go to the public market and um, do a small IPO of up to $5 million to create a clean shell. And then they have 24 months to find a private company to, you know, to acquire um, that, which is then called the qualifying transaction. And the capital raise that's needed for the, for the venture company would come as, you know, on a sidecar private placement. So at the time of listing the CPC shell, the private company, and the private placement um, investors come together in one transaction and it spits out a new publicly traded company. And the real benefit of that, especially for U.S. companies, one is, you know, we require 200 uh, public shareholders on TSX Venture Exchange. So if you are, let's say you're doing a, a $15 million private placement and you're, you know, you get that from a few family offices or maybe maybe some retail investors, but you still need to qualify that for that, 20, that 200 shareholders, the CPC has has that in it, um, has the 200 shareholders. It's also a Canadian C-Corp. So again, if you're looking to, um, you know, reclassify as a foreign private issuer in the eyes of the SEC, then that's a potential, then there's a, there's a corporate structure that you could, you know, potentially use uh, for the listing. And then uh, another reason, this is really important for, for U.S. companies who aren't familiar with the Canadian capital markets and which again, which are very, can be very different than the U.S. market, especially at the earlier stages, is you now have a group of directors and founders of the CPC that are seasoned um, people in the Canadian capital market. So often what will happen is that one of the CPC founders or directors will stay on the board of the, of the new co um, after the vend-in. And so, and they can, and the CPC, you know, they're really, it's a really unique um, you know, group of individuals that, that do the CPCs that have the experience and the understanding of the Canadian capital markets. They have the relationship with the Canadian brokers, lawyers, so they can really also help guide the U.S. company in the going public process because they've some of them are serial guys. They've done several CPCs, and it's so really yeah, step in there. I mean, when you go out and do a good uh, CPC transaction, or you, you you go to do your reverse takeover. Or, bring this companies, these two companies together, you're looking for a management team who, a board of directors there who is value add. It's kind of like going after a venture capital firm that's going to bring yes. some very qualified people to the table along with capital. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And, and again, you know, the time and process of going public can be significantly reduced when you have someone who knows what they're doing, right? And so, Obviously, there's no reason why a, a U.S. CEO or CFO who hasn't gone done may have public company experience, but not in Canada. You know, they can it, it, again. It can just reduce the time and cost and stress and pain of going public if you are working with a great CPC group that has done this before and can really guide you, um, because they're all in it together. Ultimately, you know, the CPC founders. You know, let, let, let's say they have a you know an eight hundred thousand dollars shell, and and the 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 market cap of the resulting company is going to be more like fifty to seventy five million. They're, you know, they're going to own very little of the of of the company, so they really you know make their money by finding great companies, you know, investing in them, you know, bringing them through their shell, and then sticking with them for a while. And they will be escrowed as the management team is um, on the on the transaction, so they can't just you know you know, get in the stock and, and then, and then leave. Um, but it's a really, it's, it, anyways, it's just a unique process and, and product that again, most of our companies have, have gone through CPCs. We have a very, very high, 
number of, of, of number of CBCBs we've done in the last, you know, 15, 20 years, the number that have gone on to graduate to TSX, the number to, of companies that are in our index now, and I don't have that stat handy, but the number, there's always, uh, you know, a number of, of companies in the index that start out as a CPC. And certainly some of, you know, some of the biggest cannabis companies, you know, start out as, as, as you know, through a CPC on the venture exchange. And, um, and I don't know if you, you saw uh, that we announced the TSX 30, which is a ranking of, 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 you know, top 30 companies on Toronto Stock Exchange, similar to the TSX Venture 50 um, that has been around for many years, which I actually started the TSX Venture 50 many years ago. But we just launched a TSX 30, and and a number of those companies on TSX also started out as CPCs, or, or, or at a minimum on the venture exchange and, and their graduates. And then graduated up to the TSX. Huh. Yeah. Now, so you've got your CPC, the listed shell, and it's a clean shell. You've got a good board of directors. You've got the private entity being a, you know, maybe it's a technology company, and they're looking and they say, I want to use the benefits of the exchange. They go and do uh, the reverse takeover, the, the transaction, and become listed. How do you get the money raised? What does that process look like? When do the bankers come in or the sponsors or the brokers come in to help you raise the money? Yeah, no, this is, again, this is, the, this is the point that matters the most, right? <laughs> this is the reality part, right? So, you know, whether, so I just want to, because this speaks to this, that whether you go public on TSX Venture through an IPO, an RTO, or a CPC, I just want to make sure that everyone understands that there's no regulatory arbitrage in terms of the, again, the review that we will put on the company to go public. So, again, just because in the U.S. there's often times where, you know, people use a shell and they think that they're circumventing something in the U.S. But he, in Canada, again, they're all, they're all regulated ways of going public. And the capital raise still ultimately comes from, you know, the banker, the brokers um, that, that the company ends up working with. So, you know, in part of this process, you know, a company would, in the U.S., for example, would you know, reach out to me, you know, I would do an initial vetting of the company and, and, and you know, educate them on some of the stuff that we've been talking about, and then make those introductions to bankers um, and CPC founders. So again, the, the capital raise is going to come from some combination of retail and institutional investors, depending on how much they're raising, and how hot the sector is. And again, how long the, the, the marketing period, you know, takes, um, it really depends on the sector. And again, what's hot. Um, but, but that process of engaging with an investment banker that sponsors, you know, the transaction um, that signs off on it and leads the deal, whether that is through a private placement or not. Um, and again, there can be, a, you can do a non-brokered private placement as well, but, but usually, and especially for, in the, for the context of today, where we're talking about, you know, new companies coming to market from the U.S. is that, you know, we'd be likely looking for an investment banker to sponsor it. So it's, it's, it's again, now, the good thing in Canada is that there, there is, it, it's a, it's a manageable investment banking community, right? So there's, we have the, the sort of the three tiers of bankers from the, the big banks to the independents to the boutiques. And so, and then, but then uniquely, we also have the CPC founders, because again, if you, if the company engages with, the right CPC, they have the relationship with the bankers and the brokers and they can bring them in. Excellent. In, in knowing that, you're going through the process. What, how long does this process take? So again, this is where the whole depends comes in on how ready is the company and, and do they have their paperwork, et cetera. So there's two tracks that a company is going down when they go public. 
One is doing the capital raise, so working with the bankers and going out meeting with investors. So there's that that track is happening simultaneously. The company and really it's the company's legal counsel that is interacting with um, the exchange and the Securities Commission around all the paperwork. Right, so you're you're applying to the exchange. Um, you know, like I said, we're doing the background checks. So there's personal information forms that need to be filled out. We're reviewing the audited financial statements, the business plan, all the application, the prospectus, et cetera. Again, depending on how they how they go public, that will depend on what the what the you know information uh, requirements that 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 are needed. Um, so, generally speaking, from you know from on the TSX venture side, from the time that a company applies. To the time that they get listed in terms of our process is usually somewhere around you know two to three months. It can be faster, it can be longer, it depends. And you know, and, and TSX would be a similar time frame. So, but typically it's because we don't see, you know, again, if they have really good counsel, you know, we don't see the application until they're ready to go. And so then if the audit financial places, you know, aren't aren't in place, the personal information forms are filled out, everything you know, makes sense, you know, the, the review is, is, is not complex, then, you know, the company it can be within eight weeks. Hmm. I mean, that's, that's an important point there, the complexity, because yes. again, I mean, you've got to go through business models. And sometimes if you're a, a cutting edge technology startup, there's a lot of ex- explanation that has to go into to explaining that business model at times versus, hey, we're a, a gold exploration company. We're going to go drill some holes and see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, they're, they're two different business models and, and the people reviewing know one much better than the other. So I think that's something to keep in mind. Yeah. And the other thing is, again, for U.S. companies is that, you know, there's going to be some cross-border you know, legal and tax considerations. And so that's, again, where it's important that they have really good advisors that have done this before. And again, we can make some of those introductions. Um, you definitely want to make sure that you're using advisors that have done this kind of transaction before. And so the cross-border stuff, you know, you know, should not be taken lightly. They're, the reality is you're, you're dealing with two, with, with, you know, securities regulation in two countries, right? And so that that understanding and that process and getting the right structure and the right and also looking at any tax implications is really important um, for a U.S. company to, to be looking at and having again having the right advisors and then being realistic about the time to to have that all set up. I, I think just the the tax advice perhaps could be a whole other episode, but that's uh, that's tax. <laughs> yeah, won't be with me. <laughs> <laughs> well, all good, uh, Delilah. I, I really I, I want to be respectful of your time, and I've had you talking for almost an hour now. Wow, great! Went by fast. <laughs> it did. It did. I, with uh, let's let's wrap it up. Do you, do you have some final advice? I mean, you've you've dealt with a lot of companies who have uh, been through the process, and you've you've been in the game uh, a number of years and have seen the good and the bad. What final advice would you have for CEOs and management teams looking to go public? You know, again, going back to the first consideration: Do you have a reason to be public? Do you understand how to use the public markets to grow your business? And are you in the kind of business that makes sense to grow? And looking at our market again, you know, our, our real value proposition to U.S. companies is that we're really good at small public companies. Again, 165 years of doing this, and infrastructure has evolved. Whether it's the exchange, the investors, the analyst coverage. Um, the Securities Commission, we all understand and embrace small public companies um, that, again, doesn't necessarily exist to the same extent in the U.S. And so, 
you know, you want, you always want to be looking for your source of capital that is relevant to you, but it also helps you get to the next round of capital. As, as you know, every, every round you do is, is going to impact your ability to raise the next round, which is why, you know, I always tell companies like really be cautious around things like the equity crowdfunding and ICOs, et cetera, or, or going on OTC because it may impact your ability to, to, for the next round of capital. And, and for us, you know, again, one of our, our big value propositions for U.S. companies is really seeing us as that stepping stone to the U.S. market. So thinking about coming to our market early, doing some rounds of capital, using your, the stock as currency for, for, um, you know, for acquiring companies or doing acquisitions and, and attracting top talent, then graduating to Toronto Stock Exchange and then dual listing onto New York or NASDAQ, and of which that process, you know, that path has, has, is there. And we, you know, we currently have um, over 260 companies that are dual listed on between TSX or Venture and either New York or NASDAQ. And so that path is there. And so this opportunity to get to your end goal, which is a U.S. exchange, but coming, coming up north uh, through the Canadian mm-hmm. markets to do that. You know, it's, it's interesting. That can be done as in, I mean, as little as like it seems two or three years if you really have the pedal to the metal. Oh, absolutely. In fact, um, like Alkaline Water, which we had just talked about, you know, they listed last April on the Venture Exchange and they just listed on NASDAQ um, earlier or at at, at the beginning or end of at the beginning of the year or, or at the end of last year. But, you know, they very quickly, they, they saw the value in the venture market and then, and then, you know, now they're, they're dual listed on NASDAQ. So yeah, that, that path, that pathway is there for the right company for sure. Mm. Well, excellent. Delilah, I, I want to thank you for your time. It's, uh, it's been really informative. Uh, how, how best can people reach out and connect with you if they have questions? Well, there's a couple of ways. One, well, they can certainly reach out to me directly through my email, and maybe you can just link that in, the, in, in your, your page. In the show notes, yeah. It, yes, delilah.panio at tmx.com. We also have a U.S. website, for, or in this case for U.S. companies, uh, we, have a very, we have a dedicated website, which is us.tsx.com. And, and that has all the information. There's, there's some lovely videos of, of Jeff and I on there talking about some of the stuff I've been talking about today. Our guide to listing is there. Our legal and tax guide for U.S. companies is listed there as well. So that is a good resource page to start with. And then, and then, and then absolutely just reach, reach out to me through my email. Excellent. Or well, LinkedIn. Thank you so much for your time. <laughs> thank you, Corey. It's been a real, real pleasure. Right on. All right. Bye now. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Insider's Guide to Finance. If you enjoyed what you heard, please share this with your friends and colleagues so they can benefit as well. You can also subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or the Play Store. Your support there is really appreciated. For future episodes, if there's a question, topic, or specific person you'd like me to interview, feel free to reach out. You can connect with me on LinkedIn or through my website at creativereturn.ca.